Hey everyone, my name is Chris Matia and this is What's Cooking with Coach. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I'm going to discuss a hot topic today. Buckle up. It's the middle of the summer, so you know what that means. School's about to start, or isn't it? Uh, traditionally speaking, within the next week, students from across the country will grab their backpacks, hop on buses, get in the, their cars or tie their shoes and begin the journey for the new school year. It's an exciting time of year. I forget January 1st. The school year marks the beginning of all things new and the great opportunities on the horizon. But wait, it does not feel exciting at all. Why? I think we all know why. We're amid a pandemic, whether you believe in it or not. Spare me the arguments on both sides. I've heard them all. It does not affect that many people, I hear. Or it's too dangerous to do anything, I hear. Uh, the virus has done one thing divide the country even more politically and ideologically than it already was before. The forefront of this argument has become schools, from preschool to colleges and universities. The decisions to counteract the virus and ensure safety has uprooted the education system as we know it. There's an estimated 87 million people that were or are expected to go back to school campuses this fall. This includes students, teachers, professors, administration, support staff. That is roughly one in four Americans. 328 million people live in the United States if you need reference. It's expected that two-thirds to three-quarters of all Americans will be directly affected by the school's decisions. Parents, guardians, siblings, relatives, bosses, co-workers. It can be argued that the school's being in session are the single most important factor for the progress and economy of the United States. As a result, the education system has been in the forefront of the news, and deservedly so. Anything that affects three-quarters of all Americans deserves that kind of attention. The argument comes from whether schools should open this fall. More importantly, should schools open up during a pandemic? Should schools open up during a pandemic that has only affected 1% of the world? I'm not here to argue that. I'm just here to point out the importance of the education system and highlight the points of some arguments that we have heard. Uh, there are some topics that I'll mention during this uh, podcast. Uh, topic one, uh, teacher unions putting up a fight to go back to school. Uh, topic two, uh, funding of schools. Topic three, uh, remote learning was a failure. We can't do that again. Uh, topic four, uh, students need to be in school for the social impact of it. Topic five, science says students do not feel the effects as much as adults and rarely infect teachers. Topic six, teachers as essential workers. Topic seven, logistics no one thinks about. Topic eight, arguments against teachers. And then I'll offer my personal opinion in uh, conclusion. So let's get started. Topic one, teachers unions are putting up a fight to go back to school. Yes, that's at the front of the news and that's, that's pretty obvious. Uh, teacher unions across the country are debating with local, state, and national officials about whether to open up schools and how to do that safely. Now, safe is becoming a word used in relative context. Everyone's definition of safe can vary. What is safe? The argument can come at another time, and I do not want to divert from the key points. 
teachers are putting up a fight about the standards to which schools will be opened up. The guidelines released by the CDC, Center for Disease Control, the teacher unions, and then local and state governments are simply not on the same page. It can definitely be confusing for people on how to interpret schools will go about implementing these policies, especially when they're different in one area of the country versus another. A vast majority of teachers want to go back to work. Simple. There's a reason that they became teachers. They want to help educate kids and help them get to a better life. The empathy teachers have towards children can be pretty remarkable. With that said, there are no doubt teachers that do not want to go back and will ride this wave and receive a check. Like any situation, we cannot label a large group of the behaviors of a small minority. This argument has gone on for a long time, and I use police officers because they're also in the news as well. There are actions taken by law enforcement that do not depict the huge group. And I say that as a shout out to law enforcement. Your job is not easy. Uh, I would go further in my thankfulness for you, but I'm going to stick to schools. So back to that topic. Political policy and the handling of the pandemic has led to a huge double standard that has affected the population. People must continue moving forward, but without the resources and job security that was once present. Now, I cannot speak for all states in their reopening protocols. There are simply too many. However, I can use the local policies, i.e. Massachusetts, that have restricted capacities for businesses and public venues currently. Large congregations of people from churches to concerts and sporting events have been restricted or banned outright. Restaurants are limited to less than 50% capacity indoors with proper spacing. Banks can only hold a limited amount of people that must be six feet apart. And I'm sure we can come up with more examples of how public policy has affected us all. Educators alike cannot understand the push for a full reopen when certain public venues and private businesses have such restrictions in place. Schools will hold hundreds of thousands of people in each day with less space than is provided in the above examples. Now, there is not much restriction on the outdoors. I mean, heck, I'm all for outdoor schooling. Imagine having that sun on your face while you learn. But I'm not a weatherman, and I can't predict the weather. So I don't know how well that would go on a day-to-day basis. Whether we agree with the policies that have been laid out or not, they are there. And schools cannot and justifiably should not be expected to be treated any differently than any of the other venues affected by government policy. Policies have dictated with numbers and spacing on what is safe, and schools need to follow suit. The key point is that the current policies influencing business and restaurants also take children and teenagers, you know, the ones going back to school, into account. Policies did not change for businesses because children enter the buildings. This is a huge double standard when people argue that kids do not feel the effects of the virus. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. Teachers want to go to want to go back to school. Most do, as I mentioned. People are creatures of habit. Teachers are no different. The structure of the day-to-day gives people sanity. 2020 has been a year of no structure, and we can see the ill effects of it. Teachers want to know that it is safe, based on policies set forth. Once it's determined safe by elected officials, teachers will get back to work. No questions asked. Second topic, funding of schools. Now, this is a hot topic. 
I've heard it all from teachers are overpaid to schools are grossly underfunded to resources are not being used properly. I cannot agree or disagree vehemently with any of these statements. Some districts pay teachers very well. Some districts do not pay well at all. Some teachers deserve way more money than they get based on their effort. And some teachers probably do not deserve the money that they receive. Schools have always been at the mercy of public funding and have had to make do with the resources made available under the guidelines that bureaucrats create. Anyone can generalize areas of the state of the country and make a fairly good assertion on which schools are funded well and which maybe are not. Let's not mistake highly funded schools as good schools and underfunded schools as bad. They can flip-flop pretty easily. I can assure that schools are not funded evenly. Most people do not know how schools are even funded. Uh, I'll mention uh, part of it. Most are funded on municipal taxes, real estate. The remainder of the monies are distributed based on need by state and federal governments, respectively, through other taxes. Uh, most predominantly is the sales tax. Schools across the country are reporting being under budget, and due to that, have made cuts to programs and personnel. Many ask why. Well, the shutdowns across the country had a large effect on tax revenues for each state. Massachusetts, for example, saw a 50% reduction in tax revenues in the month of April. That simply means that districts, especially high-needs districts, were going to see a drop in state funding for the upcoming school year. And it happened. Then, the guidelines from across the states about bus restrictions, classroom restrictions, the needs for personal protective equipment came in. Now schools that already saw a decrease in funding will now have to educate students with recommended smaller class sizes, a decrease in support personnel, and limited space. It's a tall order, in order that districts from across the country have taken on and done pretty well given the circumstances. It's a tall ask, but as always, educators always seem to find a way. Arguments that have come to a head include, if schools are not fully open, people want their tax dollars back. People want to use their tax dollars to get vouchers or do school choice or use it for private education. Teachers and support staff should take wage freezes or cuts. Remote learning was a failure and that can't happen again. Schools need to be open for kids to be social. They need the aspect of school. So let's dive into these arguments. Uh, we'll focus on funding first. Number one, if schools do not open, people want their tax dollars back. I'm kind of speechless when, when that comes because this is a lot more complicated than people think. And, and I don't even know how monies flow in and out of this country and around. So it's even hard for me to make this argument, but I'm going to use simple numbers. Most people don't know how much money it costs districts per pupil. So here it is. On average, it's about $15,000 a year per student across the country. Now, some districts pay more, some less. This all depends on how much extra local communities add to school districts' budget. Giving people back $15,000 per child would be a huge ask. Now, here's a statistic that I've learned recently. 84% of tax revenues across the United States come from the top 25% of households. Mind-boggling to think about that. Now, what makes you the top 25%? Well, a single person or household must account for $60,000 of taxable income. 
$60,000. That's it. Most people would think it would be like 100000 or 200000 Because when they think of the 1%, they think of millions. In reality, to be in the top 25% of money-making people in this country, you need to be making $60,000 a year per household or more. Taxable. After credits. That makes me speechless. Something I didn't really realize until earlier this year. That also might bring to light why the $75,000 was the limit for stimulus checks. Basically, stimulus checks were given to a little bit more than 75% of households or people in this country. The ones that clearly needed it the most. Now, taxes fund a variety of things from schools, public offices, roads, building. The list is huge. Every person pays taxes to fund these projects. Whether we agree with the costs or how the money is spent is a loaded topic for another day. Majority of students, especially underfunded districts, come from the bottom 75% of money households. So three-quarters of students come from families that do not make a ton of money. At most, according to current tax brackets, a $60,000 a year household would pay roughly $13,000 in income taxes. This does not include sales or excise taxes. Still, though, you can see how it would be impossible to repay tax dollars for a voucher system to families directly, especially if there's more than one child in the home. Okay, It would be vastly unrealistic to give those tax credits or monies back to families. Now, especially with more kids, 15000 30000 45000 60000 to each family, especially if the tax payments do not equal that cost. It would be even more difficult for anyone to argue this point if they do not pay substantially more than the cost per pupil in taxes because you get the benefits of roads and other tax projects. Now, if you use the money for school choice, it's pretty understood that even private schools, charter schools, any schools, are finding ways to do remote learning this year. So schools will adopt this practice with until the quote-unquote new normal is here. It's not going away. So even homeschooling deals with it deals with an online curriculum. It comes down, and this is the number one thing it really comes down to, it comes down to who will monitor the students during the day. That seems to be the topic. Students seem to be monitored and watched. People need a place for their kids to go during the day, period. I'll bring that argument up later. Another key component to the tax dollars going back is certification. Uh, Teachers jump through hoops to become certified and keep their certification. Will parents or private schools have to gain certifications if they want their tax dollars back to be used for that. As it stands, many teachers get waivers every year to fill the need for districts. Just another issue with school choice is transportation and seats available. Equitable equitable education access would be shuttered. This is the guiding policy in monetary decision-making and distribution in schools is equity. On a different note, This is more of a compassionate note. When a person chooses a city or state to live in, they choose it under the circumstance that they will help benefit the area, not exploit it. This includes a child's education, more so that are not as privileged. There is an ideology that education is a collective endeavor that needs to be funded properly to raise up the youth. Some just need more funding than others, unfortunately. Education cannot become a meritocracy for those that can pay to get the best opportunity. That will not suit the future of this country.
Two, on the budget. Teachers should take a pay freeze or a pay cut to balance the budget. Not a bad idea, but the teachers' unions would never allow that. As a teacher, I have no problem taking a pay freeze or a pay cut to collectively benefit the population. However, if educators take a, a cut, all municipalities and public workers would have to take a cut to balance the budget. That would mean police, fire, city workers, local elected leaders, and other union workers. All unions are pretty opposed to this, so it would be a moot point to expect teachers to quote-unquote take one for the team to benefit the municipal, municipal budgets. Attacking one union, union like the teachers' union, essentially, essentially means you're willing to attack all unions, and that is a slippery slope to go down. Another thing to keep in mind, 80% of most school budgets are salaries and health benefits, and that includes retirees. Cutting school budgets even more would be cutting health lifelines for people, especially older people that have already retired, that are in the highest risk category for COVID. Next topic, topic three. Remote learning was a failure. We cannot do it again. Remote learning for students and staff was exceedingly difficult. Yeah, it was a failure. As I mentioned earlier, teachers crave structure, and remote learning was not it. Remote learning put hardships on parents like they had never seen before. The arguments are absolutely in place that in-person learning is the best. There is no questioning that. We would all like to go back to the way things were. I can assure you that, for now, elected officials, tax dollars, public policy, and the growth of technology will not allow school to go back to the way it was before. And it's not happening. Let's be honest again. The major tech titans, Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, stand to make a lot more money if we continue to stay remote. Now, let me give remote learning a context. Okay. Imagine taking away a barber's tools and giving him or her a pair of two dull blades and saying, hey, make it work. Go do a haircut out of nowhere in the midst of economic chaos. It's kind of like fumbling around, not knowing what to do. I'm sure it would take some time and practice, but the barber, they, they probably figure it out and they do the best they can with what they got. Or maybe they'll just give up. Who knows? Remote learning was a complete 180 direction change in the middle of a stressful time where people lost jobs. Not all students had access to learning. High-need students were even more disadvantaged. Parents who may not understand the material, or even the language, needed to be the teacher or the helper. There were connection problems, absentee problems, and accountability problems. Life as we knew it was changed, and no one knew what to do. It was attempted, and it was a major struggle. Making it more difficult was the accountability piece. How are teachers and administrators going to tell kids and families that they were not going to pass a grade, a class, or even graduate from school when we were in the midst of a pandemic, parents may have lost their job, and the standards of no child left behind legislation was never going to be adequately followed during an unprecedented time. Ultimately, a lot of students called the bluff on schoolwork and not doing it, and they won. Oh, it was a failure, all right, but it was not for lack of effort. In short, the timing and the lack of preparation was the reason it was a failure. It was acceptable at the time because it was the only choice, and given the circumstances, I do not know too many other choices that would have worked 
in that situation. However, I will speak to this. Technology has developed enough to put us in a place to progress education. Remote learning can have its benefits. Some students work well in that setting. Some students were able to do work, to go to work more hours and then do schoolwork later. I saw some students do better work online than they did in class. Maybe the peer pressure and speaking out loud in class kept them back. All I know is given a chance, a lot of training, patience, and a collective effort, remote learning can be beneficial. And remember, for those that think teachers will not work when it comes to remote learning, someone must develop the online curriculum. Teachers most likely, I would say. Topic four, students need to be in school for the social impact of it. Schools have always been a great place where kids learn how to socialize with one another and adults how, how to work in groups and to learn life lessons. With the standards and budget constraints put on education systems now, will students get the same social impact they had before? I cannot imagine kids being separated, not being able to touch each other, wearing a mask, and likely not having sports or clubs to participate will make the school will, will make school the social entity it was before. Kids will be expected to stay in the same room with the same kids with the same teacher all day. There will not be much socializing. With the new health standards in place, it will be difficult to keep everyone in line, let alone learn properly and socialize. Budget cuts make extracurricular activities and events problematic. Those situations are where kids socialize the most. The warning must be heeded. Schools will not be the same this year or in coming years, no matter how bad you, me, we want it to be. Topic five. The science says that students do not feel the effects as much as adults and rarely infect teachers. Yes, that is cited in studies. It's been all over the media and a lot of people use that as an argument against teachers. And the, okay. I'm sure there are reasons it was published. I'm sure there are reasons that parts were redacted as well. Uh, I'm all for science, making arguments, you know, and it should be. Everybody wants to use science, okay? We are in the midst of the greatest science experiment in human history, right in front of our eyes. The change of facts and data is derived from the reality that this is the scientific method being played out in front of our eyes. Science changes every day with new information. When a new solution arises, so does a potential new problem. And then the cycle continues. So if you're just as frustrated as I am regarding the facts, I empathize with you. There's nothing worse than hearing one thing one day than being told the complete opposite the next. It is frustrating and confusing. But in reality, we're only six, maybe seven months into even knowing about COVID-19. We still don't know much about it. Uh, it's taken science years and decades to overcome pandemics before. I can't expect there to be an overnight solution here. But hey, let's talk about the apparent COVID vaccinations that are being rushed that will be complete by January to get life back to normal. That upwards to 50% of people do not want to take. But I digress. There's changing data on how it spreads, who it affects the most, the long-term effects of the people. 
it's extremely hard to make decisions when all that knowledge is just not there to make a safe one. Well, schools in other countries were successful. And they were not. The schools that were successful were from countries with have higher tax rates and a more collaborative approach to education. Even with that said, outbreaks still occurred and shut down again. Uh, it's too hard to predict what will happen in the U.S., especially with the upcoming flu season. Sick season, as I would call it, because it's not just the flu. Topic six. Teachers are essential workers. You want to load a topic? Here you go. Essential workers have been labeled in the purpose of keeping progress going in some facet. Workers that provide a direct living surface have been classified as essential. Essential workers have been granted the ability to work regularly during the pandemic with obvious safety guidelines in place. Teachers have not been labeled essential. Local retailers and billion-dollar companies have essential employees, though. As it stands, essential employees are allowed at work, in large part because their job cannot be done online. Teachers have not been given that label. I can assure you, they never will. In a world divided by political ideas and chess piece maneuvering, labeling educators as essential employees would be the equivalent of exposing the king purposely to your opponent during a game of chess. Why, you ask? In short, it would become a large bargaining chip. As it stands, unions across the country are vigorously negotiating terms with local elected leaders and administrations about contracts. Once labeled essential, teacher unions could very well demand hazard pay, extra benefits, more funding, and better yet, the proposed $400, $450 per week return to work pay that was being proposed as part of the new stimulus package, the HEALS Act, uh, what the GOP put out at the beginning. Well, people would argue, well, teachers have a job already. Why would they qualify a return to work? Well, it's simple. Teachers are contracted workers on a yearly schedule. The contract schedule ended at the end of last school year, May or June. So technically speaking, teachers are out of a job until school starts. They would be returning to work. However, elected officials already determined that remote learning was adequate in the spring, so do teachers really have to go back? These are big what-ifs and questions that need to be answered. Topic seven, logistics no one talks about. Reopening schools sounds simple. It is not. There are, more, there are a lot more issues than people do not dis discuss. Businesses already went through their logistical nightmare. Schools are going through it now. Some questions to think about. And there are no answers to these. They're just questions that get the mind mind going. And I'm sure if with every question, there will be a new question. How will sick time be applied to teachers? More so when guidelines say, stay home if feeling sick or have symptoms. Even so, how do you prove the symptoms? This is especially important for teachers that plan on maternity or paternity leave. That sick time is being banked for that. How will we know that all safety standards are being met? What is the accountability for those that do not follow guidelines? Can we just simply boot teachers and students from the building? Say, hey, you're not following standards. Get out. I don't know if we can do that. What is the policy should there be an infected person? And what defines close contact with that person? Are people in close contact expected to quarantine 10 to 14 days and then do remote learning? 
are teachers expected to teach during their quarantine period via remote? All right, will COVID tests be required? Who pays for it? The underfunded school district? The health insurance? Well, those rates will jack up after this year. The state? The person? Now, this leads to substitutes. Now, if you thought teachers were in short supply, subs are greater need. Subs do not have a contract. What are their safety precautions? If there's no subs, are we now forcing educators to cover classes and increase their contact risk when we already have measures in place to mitigate that? Now, what are the school's liabilities? If someone contracts the virus and dies while working in schools, the liability could be through the roof, especially remote learning is presented as an option. Without knowing the long-term effects of COVID, could a person that displays these uh, effects long-term qualify for workers' comp or disability? Is suing now a possibility? Will workers receive hazard pay or return to work pay? I mentioned it a few minutes ago. You know, healthcare field, example. You guys are essential workers. I support you all getting it, even though I know you're probably not. They're just saying, hey, go to work. Uh, but no, it's hazard pay. You're putting yourself at risk. There are concerns about double planning. Broadcasting classrooms to remote learners is a violation of privacy and has never been allowed in schools. So double planning is more work, and that must be collectively bargained with the union and the districts. All these things must be collectively bargained with unions. And don't worry, this is not a teacher union thing. All unions do this. Police, fire, fire, nursing unions. This is not a teacher-only thing. Any changes in contracts all get done. There is more red tape and guidelines than people realize. The largest complaints often come from people that, frankly, are unaware of all of them. Now, topic eight, arguments against teachers. I can come up with like two big thoughts. Um, frankly, they are kind of hurtful. Um, I don't mean to be hurtful with them, but they are. And as a teacher, I'm sure these could be applied to me as well. The first, just like a lot of people, teachers can be on their high horse and think they're way more important than they might be. This is all perspective, and I'm not here to argue perspective of importance. The teacher union fight is political. Make no mistake. It has everything to do with fighting the perceived double standards that the current policies have created. Not about working with kids. The second thought is that many teachers, excluding those of elder age and that were born with pre-existing conditions that place them in the high-risk COVID category, Teachers may have brought their high-risk category upon themselves. Now, it sounds cold-hearted, but factors such as BMI, drinking-induced problems, unhealthy eating-induced problems, and substance use, smoking-induced, can be mitigated and suppressed by more healthy behaviors of teachers. Teachers are human and will partake in destructive decisions like anyone else. A person's health is... uh, as much environmental as it is personal, but personal choices that have impacted health later in life can be construed as that person's fault. 
Now, we live in a very unhealthy society, a conversation for another day. But how do you go about that when a person's lifetime decisions might have affected their ability to now work? Uh, I don't know. That's a tough argument. I'm going to conclude. Listen to me ramble enough. I have two parts. This part one. Schools are valuable. Uh... They're more important than many would like to admit. Are they perfect? No. That can be said for any sector in this country. Schools opening sees a challenge like never before in a world that we've never seen before. The world back in March is not going to happen again. It's over. It's different. It's difficult to move forward when many policy decisions are being made by people that have never worked in a school. However, as a taxpayer, they can voice their opinion. That's what America is, the right to have a thought and to speak it. Schools need to be safe and secure places where students can learn and become better people. You're just living in an unsure time. The irony of it all is that the students that need school the most come from families that are at the greatest risk of contracting the virus with limited healthcare options in an era where they need the paycheck the most. I mean, come on. Pro sports bubbles right now, with all of their money, can't even prevent the virus. So safety can never be assured, no matter how much money or how many protective measures in place. The government has already passed the stimulus and support acts for businesses, but limit the funds that go to schools during a time that sees the most restrictive guidelines in education history being assigned. States, including my own Massachusetts, have rainy day funds. Massachusetts was noted in an article, $3.5 billion rainy day fund. However, it is quite understandable why those rainy rainy day funds are not being dipped into. Elected officials know the worst is yet to come. If they knew things would get better immediately, the money would have been used and we would be all on our way. The virus has exposed fractures in American society that are the deeper root problem than schools opening back up. From the political division to the inequities of public funding across the country, just to the societal construct that has made two-income households a necessity and then made schools the place to house the children for such necessity. It's becoming pretty apparent that we all need, all need to sacrifice in some capacity to get through the COVID virus and the subsequent economic upheaval. It is difficult to learn to sacrifice when there is so much division upon an end goal. Remember, division is profitable. Whether it's money or power, angering one group can empower another. Numbers can easily be distorted to facilitate one group's argument in favor of another. And I'm sure people reading, at least reading or listening can say, I've done the same thing here. But the idea that one person or group is more important than another goes against every homeostasis theory there is. The fighting of the virus and the movement of the economy became more about power and politics than it was ever for humanity. The two have not been, nor will ever be connected. Now, part two. Criticism without a solution, is simply a complaint. 
Everyone has an opinion, but very few give a thought out and coherent plan to resolve it. With that said, I have my own suggestions, which I'll outline momentarily, although it won't be completely in-depth for time limitations on this podcast. Children are our greatest asset, but we need to invest time and money in them. All children, not just some. Fundamentally, everyone needs to get on board with kids getting an education this year. I believe that all kids learn differently and that there will be benefits of all proposed school models, whether it's in-school, hybrid, or remote. Some kids need school being in the building. They need the structure. Getting into a building, having that teacher-student interaction is the most beneficial to them. Those students, the high needs, the ones that just want to be back in school, should absolutely attend with safety measures in place. Some students do not need that teacher interaction every day, but you know, a few check-ins will certainly work. These students are independent and value learning on their own time. The hybrid model works well. This gives kids time to get enough feedback and use their time elsewhere when needed. This is the current college model and great for kids who have time management skills and or parents that can also be present a few days a week. Other students just would prefer remote learning. There are extreme benefits, such as making their own schedule, being able to go to work uh, at normal traditional school times, or just being home and being comfortable. Let's face it, not all kids like going to school, whether it's bullying or anxiety or whatever um, reasons that people might have, that remote learning could be work. You know, a lot of districts are, are offering virtual learning now. All, all three options should be developed and maintained by schools. There must be standards set with it, but for the most part, you'll be providing an option that is best for each family and student. Now, there are logistical concerns that would need to be discussed, but it could be manageable for teachers. Smaller class sizes during the day, potential check-ins throughout the week, and then checking in on remote learning work. This can be adjusted to fill work quotas and make it equitable and satisfy union contracts. All I know is our world is vastly different than the one in March. It will forever be that way. We cannot expect education to go back to the way it was, but we can work together to get through the changes that are making our life stressful, better for kids, better for teachers, better for parents, and better for all stakeholders and taxpayers. But we need to do this together. Now, I appreciate you taking the time to read and or listen. Feel free to send me any feedback or comments. Uh, my email is christopher.matia at gmail.com. I'm always willing to engage in meaningful debate and development of progress-based solutions. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you again. Goodbye.